ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Garfinkel of Project 613 here in Chicago. Yes, with an incredible journey that I'd like to share with you. 70 hours in Spain. Yes, last week from Monday at 4.40 p.m. when my American slash Iberian Air flight took off to Thursday at 2.40 when it landed back in Chicago. Literally 70 hours in transit. And really, to be perfectly honest, about 48 hours in Spain. It was an absolutely incredible trip. Rabbi, why are you going to Spain for 48 hours? And was it worth it? The answer is, it was absolutely worth it. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Now, why did I go? Because next month, actually, starting May 14th to 21st, I am privileged to bring several of our Project 613 young professionals to the Olami Summit in Spain. Olami is our worldwide network of Jewish educational outreach programs. And Olam means world, Olami means worldwide. And believe me, Olami is worldwide. We are proud to be members of this incredible network. And before COVID, they had these things called summits where they would bring Jews from around the world to one location and tour, connect, learn. And the energy at these summits is truly through the roof. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, the Olami Summit now is back bigger than ever. And it is going to be in a few weeks now, how in the world do you plan the educational strategy and model and touring for over a thousand people? Well, you break it down by region. In fact, there are regions from literally, they carve up the globe in terms of where the students and young professionals are coming from. And we obviously are the North American region. I am blessed to be leading one of the dozens of buses uh, from North America, and Olami invested to bring the bus leaders out to Spain to be able to walk the steps that we are going to be walking from May 14th to 21st, this incredible, incredible trip. We visited four major cities there, four major, not necessarily in terms of their population, but four central cities to the Jewish story of Spain. One was Avila, one was Madrid, one was Segovia, and the final one was Toledo. You know, I sound like a, like I really know how to speak Spanish, but I really don't. Toledo. <laughs> so I told, I was writing to people that I'm in Toledo. They're like, what are you doing in Ohio? <laughs> I said, I'm not in Ohio. I'm in the original Toledo. I'm not even sure that's how it says in Spanish, but I digress. And I wanted to talk in this podcast about the powerful story of the Jewish experience 
in Spain. The drama of Spain. Because, thank God, I have been able to lead a lot of trips around the world. But there's something about the story of Spain that is more relevant than pretty much anywhere else one could go. Now, why do I say that? So, I've been on Poland trips, which are very powerful. But the story of Poland is pretty much, did you get out or did you not? The the ball had dropped. The, the genocide was happening. And the the story is not necessarily layered there wasn't much choice the die were cast and therefore the story of the poland trip is did you get out or did you not and unfortunately the sad story of those that did not and a little bit obviously of the spiritual resistance during that persecution spain is totally different Because Spain is the story of choices. Spain is the story of what are your values? What is number one? What is number two? And what is number three? And what value supersedes other values? And that is the message that is the most relevant to our young professionals today and to everyone listening today as Jews in America. Are we Jews first? And Americans second? Are we Americans for Americans first and Jews second? That's, you know, a nice theoretical question until, God forbid, but until if there would be a government that would say, well, you could stay in America, but you got to leave this Jewish thing behind. What would we do? What would we say? How would we answer that question? And not only... Would you have to leave the country to keep your Judaism? You'd have to leave your 401k. You'd have to leave your real estate holdings. You'd have to leave your retirement. You'd have to leave all of your possessions, your bank accounts, and your stocks, and your bonds. Should I keep going? I don't even, I'm not even an economist. I don't even know what other resources there are, what other assets there are. Whatever assets you have, you would have to leave them. So even if being Jewish is number one, is it number one enough to motivate you to leave everything behind? So these are difficult choices, and they were difficult choices. And how the Jews of Spain did is a fascinating test tube in terms of how would the American Jewish community All right. But in order to appreciate the decisions that Jews needed to make in that fateful spring and summer of 1492, when the Jews were given that final four months from the end of March to the really the end of July, beginning of August 1492, when they had to decide to convert or leave or die. A choice that, God willing, we will never, ever have to make, nor our descendants. Okay, but here we go. So let's do a little bit of background in terms of how did we get there in Spain, and then some highlights of the history, and then we're going to bring it home with some powerful experiences that we had in Spain. All right, sound like a deal? So here we go. Now, here is something that's very dangerous. 
get Rabbi Garfinkel to speak about history. That is dangerous because we could be here for a while. But don't worry. We are sticking to the basic 20-minute framework of our podcast. But I'm going to blast through Spanish-Jewish history pretty quickly and just pick out a few of the highlight dates that are crucial. Okay, so the year now in the secular calendar is 2023, 2023. And what, let's just rewind a little bit. In the year 70 of the Common Era, the Romans destroyed our temple. The Romans destroying the temple was not quite as traumatic, even though it was traumatic, as the quashing of the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, 136 of the Common Era. And that was the one that really scattered us all over the world. So the community that used to be dominant, the Jewish community that used to be dominant in the land of Israel, really shifted by and large to Babylonia. That's modern day Iraq. And that is where we see the incredible Jewish community of Babylon, of Iraq, producing the Talmud. We're talking the Talmud was sealed around 550, around 550, some say a little six, around 600. And the Jewish community in Iraq was the major Jewish community on planet Earth through about 800 and 900, through the area of the era of the Geonim. Of, it's translated as the geniuses, but those are the names of the leaders of the time. But then a shift began to happen. And while that shift can happen, we're going to put it on pause and we're going to go over to Spain itself and we're going to connect these two lines of history. So when did the Jews first come to Spain? There are those that say that came in the times of the first temple, which could be true, but everyone agrees at least by the time of the second temple, there were Jews in Spain. Now, the first actual document we have that talks about Jews in Spain is 305, or some say 306, the Council of Elvira. Good old Elvira. I don't know who Elvira is or where she is, but these were anti-Semitic laws. So if there were anti-Semitic laws um, of Christians not benefiting from any Jewish associations, we assume that there were Jews there. In fact, there was really a cool law on the books that says that rabbis cannot bless the fields. Now, that's like telling, you know, if you would tell me, Rabbi Garfinkel, thou shalt not dunk the basketball. You don't need to make a rule (laughs) for me not to dunk the basketball because I can't dunk, dunk the basketball. If there is a rule on the book that rabbis should not bless the fields, that means that they do bless the fields and it works. And the reason for the law is they, the church at the time did not want Jewish blessings to supersede the blessings of the priests. So evidently they were superseding them. Okay. And um, really um, Spain was controlled by the Visigoths. Okay. This sounds like, you know, history over here. Okay. The Visigoths were like the uh Germanic tribes that came down, they controlled Spain, and they were Christians, but they did not believe in the Trinity. So here brings up the first major rule of Jewish history, okay? When the non-Jews are not so religious, we do pretty well. When the non-Jews become really religious, we don't do so well. When they become really ideological. And in 587, King Ricard of the Visigoths, he 
had his Balchuva moment. He became a Bible-thumping Catholic, and that was no good news for the Jews, who became the subject of his ire, that they did not accept Christianity, Catholicism, and tremendous persecution began up until 638 with the Council of Toledo, the Eighth Council of Toledo, which basically led to forced conversions and children, God forbid, being kidnapped and led to the first time. It's crazy. This happens twice in Spanish Jewish history of conversos, Jews who convert externally, superficially to Christianity in order to save themselves and save their families from all of these horrific things, but still keep practicing in private. Okay, so there was an issue of these conversos and all of the uh, efforts to ferret them out and to make sure that Spain was ideologically and religiously pure. Now, this was an awful situation until the saviors came. And you're going to be surprised by what happened in the year 711. Yes, it's the year of the Slurpee. No, it is the year of the Slurpee. But something happened. The Muslims came and conquered Spain from the Visigoths. And the Muslims, we have to understand, in general, not always, but in general, the Muslims were much kinder. Now, doesn't mean they were great. Doesn't mean they were perfect. They really weren't. And there were certain pockets of, again, radical Muslims, the Al-Muhads and others that were just as bad, if not worse. But the Muslims came and allowed Jews dimmy status, which again is second-class citizen, but at least they were citizens. And they weren't didn't have to hide themselves from being kidnapped and all of the incredible pressures that the Christians had put on them. And that began a process of the Jews and the Muslims coming together to create some of the greatest rich cultural activities um, of many, many, many centuries. Okay, but the Christians didn't go away. In fact, the Christians were never fully driven out of Spain. And by 1085, Alfonso took over Toledo. He was a Christian ruler. This process of the Christians reconquering Spain is called the Reconquista, which basically means we are going to reconquer Spain in the name of Catholicism. Okay, now the, the Jews did very well in Spain. We did well financially, but even more, we did well spiritually. Some of the greatest names, the greatest rabbis, the Rosh, the, the Rajba, Rabbeinu Yonah, the Rav Yehuda Halevi, and in each one of them, Maimonides, the Rambam, every one of those is, is, is a lecture of itself, is, is dozens of lectures among themselves. Truly some of the greatest scholarship of the Jewish people since Mount Sinai in the year 1312 BCE happened at this period in Spain. But unfortunately, like many good things, a good time did not last. Because already by 1391, 
is really what we call, what I call, to be honest, the Kristallnacht of Spanish Jewry. In 1391, there were anti-Semitic riots. At least 50,000 Jews were killed. That's a lot. Every number is dwarfed by the Holocaust. But you have to understand, there might maybe there was a million Jews on planet Earth at that time. 50,000 of them, the major center of Jewish life, as we said, switched from Babylonia to Spain. So already by the year 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 for sure, you're talking about the major Jewish community on planet Earth was in Spain. And therefore, the fire underneath our feet was raging by 1391. At this point, there were active Catholic preachers and friars who wanted to convert us. One such evil person, Vincent Ferrer, bragged and boasted that he converted 25,000 Jews by himself. And now this led to a tremendous issue, an issue of conversos. What does this mean? Is that when you have Jews who are forcibly converted en masse, the Catholic Church just wanted people to say, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, that's it. Did they really mean it? Well, they said it's a first step and they're believing Catholics. But the problem was you can't just turn over a new leaf overnight, especially someone who is Jewish. And therefore, Spain was filled with tens, if not a few hundred thousand conversos, new Christians, as they were called. And the ruling church and temporal figures realized that they had a problem on their hands. And in 1478, the Spanish Inquisition was officially announced. It was it was requested from the Pope, and the Pope granted it in 1478. And this was really the darkest time, or one of the darkest times in Jewish history, when any little bit that you were suspected of being Jewish and you had converted to Christianity was reason for torture and total uh, obliteration in the most gruesome, gruesome ways. These were called auto defes in which backsliding Christians would be tortured and then put to death. If they repented and accepted JC, they would be killed right away. But if not, they, their death would be prolonged and made even more gruesome. These were like Super Bowl-like uh, parties, and it was an honor of who got to light the fire uh, under the feet and eventually consuming the bodies of these Jews who had converted uh, superficially to Christianity. And it's a lot of very gory stuff, which I don't want to go through, but we have to understand that this is, this was the end of many, many Jews who had converted superficially to Christianity. I want to finish off with this final segment. And again, we didn't do this full justice, but there were two great leaders of the Jewish community at the time. One of them was named Avram Senor, and the other was Rav Dan Yitzhak Abarbanel. And the two of them led the Jewish community, and they were the two most trusted advisors of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. In fact, 
Avram Senor was the one who was the Shadchan. He brought those two monarchs of different regions together because he thought it would be good for the Jews. And for many years, in fact, it was good for the Jews. And when this decree came out that the Jews had four months to leave, they went in to the king and the queen and they offered a tremendous bribe, which is ironic because the entire Reconquista was funded by Jewish and Converso money. The Reconquista was successful in January 2nd, 1492 to kick out the Muslims at the Alhambra in Granada. And they saw an opportunity that we got rid of the Muslims and now we can get rid of the Jews. At the end of March 1492, they issued the Alhambra Decree. No accident that it was from the Alhambra. I actually visited there on a previous trip. And from that room, when they, when they defeated the Muslims, they proclaimed that all the Jews must leave in four months from now. And Daniel Zagabarbanel and Avram Senor went in with a tremendous bribe and tried to get the them to relent and in fact they did but then the evil Torquemado the Dominican friar came in and said that Yashki Bashki JC was sold for 30 shekels and you're going to do the same thing and King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella wanted to be good Catholics and they still took the bribe money but rejected their request and the Jews now had four months to leave. At that point, Danik Sabarbanel made preparations to leave, and Avram Senor, one of the head rabbis of the community, decides to convert. He converted to Christianity. He was 80 years old, and he said, someone's got to stay behind with all the Jews. He had all of the rationalizations in the world. But in the end of the day, his position and his money won over. Now, again, it's a very difficult. I would not want to be in that situation. and I can't judge. But I can tell you something. Avram Senor and his family converted to Christianity among much pomp and circumstance. Because they wanted to make a big deal of it. They have zero Jewish descendants. And Donix or Barbanel on Tisha B'av, 1492, walks out of Spain and heads to Italy. And he has thousands and thousands of Jewish descendants. In addition to that, his works in Judaism, in Torah, thought, and commentaries on all sorts of Torah works are studied to this day. Could you imagine the drama of that scene? And in fact, in Spain, we're going to have two professional actors have this conversation between Avram Senor and Don Itzaga Barbanel back and forth. What would you do? What would we do? History has voted Avram Senor and his descendants are not Jewish. The Abarbanels are. What would we have done? How would we have survived this drama? What choices would we have made? And please, God, may we never, ever be in this situation to have to decide this issue. But if we were, 
what would we decide? That is the drama of Spain. That is the crux of why we're going there. Because, folks, there's nothing greater than being Jewish. There's no greater privilege in human history than being a card-carrying member of the Jewish people. And people out there today don't know it and they don't realize it. All they need to do is study a little bit and plug in a little bit. There is no greater privilege on planet Earth than being a member of the Jewish people. And that is the final story of the drama of Spain. And God willing, we will learn those lessons and take it with us. God bless. Have a great week. Have an absolutely fantastic week. And may we take the lessons of the drama of Spain with us now and always. God bless.